Because of Christmas Day, from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 to 5. So kids are leaving for kids' church. It was Jester Hairston who wrote the words to the popular song, Mary's Boy Child, uh, Jesus Christ, also known as Because of Christmas Day. It was, uh, the song was made popular by uh, Harry Belafonte's uh, Calypso version. Now, I want to think about these, these words, Because of Christmas Day. What do they actually mean? Uh, Especially considering the times in which we live in the world, particularly in the first world, the West as we know it, as secularism increasingly takes hold, so much of our Christian heritage is being challenged and even deliberately erased from our past. So it is, it is good for us, and, and, and this is not just a a quick overview but also an equipping for you when people ask you what good is Christianity what difference did Christ make in our world and it's good for us to to tell our kids that and our grandkids and others and say well there is actually something to be really proud of just this past uh, few days as as I last three weeks as I've been visiting friends and and mainly relatives it's been refreshing touching base with, with those with whom I grew up and some of them that I share the faith with, most of them with whom I share the faith. And particularly the, the impact that my, my grandfather from my mother's side, um, he was born in 1877, went to Paraguay in about 1906 and settled there, married, had 11, 12 kids and, uh, and then the rest of the family. Now Counting, there's about 160, I think, in about the family spread around the world. And there's only one surviving son. Uh, my mother was the second last one. But one of the things I found out is that he also, after he was converted from alcoholism and womanizing and all of that, he was a lost man. He was converted in, in, in Los Angeles. And then he, God changed his life radically, amazingly. Total turnaround, around about the age of about 33, 34. And he settled in a place in a, in a colony where he started to have an impact for good into the community with all these migrants from Europe, from Germany, from Switzerland and all these other places. And he was, of course, Italian. So the place is called New Italy. And he used to go and, and preach on horseback across the swamp and preach the gospel. That I didn't know. Then, of course, his house was a place where everybody was welcome, they held services, and then my dad came and started the church and built the church up from there. But it started there in the home. That is now, the family donated it and is now a campsite. Some of the pictures you might have seen on my Facebook page. The other thing I didn't know was that Billy Graham actually visited my grandfather in 1964 when he was in Paraguay doing a campaign for three days and he actually took the time to go and visit him personally in the home. Which I thought, oh, that's pretty pretty neat. So there is that rich heritage that I'm saying, wow, this is something to be proud of. This is actually something to be celebrated. 
There is nothing to be ashamed here. Do I want to remember my grandfather, the, the drunk, the womanizer, the one who fell asleep in a park and suddenly heard the gospel? And, or, or do I want to remember the, the guy who was totally transformed into someone who had an impact for his community and now grandkids and great-great-great-grandkids that are now serving God? I'm saying, yeah, we, it is to be celebrated. It is to be thankful for because of the impact of Jesus Christ. Now, that's just my family. Now, expand that and you also have a story. How did it come about? Where was the seed planted? In what country? In what circumstances? What was it like? Why are you here? Why are you still alive? What gifts has God given you? And I'm sure that if we talk to one another, as I have been for the past three weeks, everybody's got their own story. And it just fills you up with thankfulness. And I'm saying, wow, it is amazing what, what difference... Christ has made in our family and also in your family. And that's part of the beauty of travelling, isn't it? That you're able to talk to people and, and you are enriched, deeply enriched, just hearing their stories from the rich to the poor. Everybody has a story of how they came to Christ and the impact on their lives. So as we looked, we looked back at what happened 2,000 years ago. What has been the impact of Christ in our world? This is important because we are so often, uh, we are accused of being so heavenly minded that we only think about heaven that we are earthly useless, they say, of no earthly good. But this is a lie. This is a lie. And, And this morning I want to remind you why History shows that Christianity is important for society as a whole. And a lot of my ideas are coming from a book uh, called What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? What If Jesus Had Never Been Born? Written by James Kennedy. Now a fellow named James Allen Francis wrote this well-known piece called One Solitary Life, which reads, He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never travelled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a burrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Twenty centuries have come and gone, and today he is the central figure of the human race. 
all the armies that had ever marched, all the navies that had ever sailed, all the parliaments that had ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not, have not had the effect on human life on this earth as much as this one solitary life. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem, there's that word, redeem, those born under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. What would the world be like? What would it look like today without Jesus? If Jesus had never been born, I think that's pretty close, uh, what, would, what would it be like? And although many unbelievers consider today Christianity to be, uh, and its founder, Jesus Christ, to be a menace to society, a menace that should be removed and erased, they have never really considered how the birth of Jesus has been so positive overwhelmingly so for the rest of human history and the world in which we live. So let me give you some points. Firstly, Jesus brought dignity to human life. Jesus brought dignity to human life. Genesis 1.27 So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female he created them. The very act of incarnation has elevated our humanity to the level that God had originally intended. The moment when God stopped the rest of the act of creation and, and, and said, everything else was, let the earth produce, let the heavens produce. And yet when he came to mankind, everything stopped. And that very tender, special moment when God put together the, the dust, the clay, and then breathed the gift of life into human beings. That's why you are not an animal. You're created in God's image. And Jesus came through the incarnation, incarnation to remind us of that very fact. And when we say sanctity of life, we need to know that it is, it is a spiritual concept, the concept of the sanctity of life. The word sanctity comes from the Latin word sanctus, which means holy or sacred to God. That which God has declared is of special, of great value. Even in the world today, when you get to Countries where Christianity is not the prominent religion, human life is demeaned. Because Christianity has changed the value of human life, especially to children, to women, the elderly. Prior to the coming of Christ, abortion, the killing of infants, and the abandonment, the sacrifice of children to gods were common practices. You didn't want a child, just leave it outside. Let the animals take it. Or go and sacrifice it. Or do something. 
if you don't want it. Over time, the influence of Christianity has stopped the practice of child killing. Of course, as we see today, much of that hard work has gone backwards because of the modern practice of abortion right up to the time of birth. Imagine. On children and now euthanasia, exposing our elderly to killing. Prior to the Christian influence, a woman's life was very cheap. In fact, most, in most ancient cultures, the, the, the woman was the property of her husband. In the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon told of a, of a Hindu woman, Hindu woman who, who said to a missionary, and I quote, she, she said, Surely your Bible was written by a woman. Why, he asked, because, and she says, because it says so many kind things for women. Our so-called experts don't want to acknowledge this unless it is with some level of contempt, unfortunately. And yet people see the difference. We take it for granted. Today we do take our values on human life for granted. Having said that, the morality of any society can easily be judged by the view it holds on human life. If your life is the same as that of a cat, a dog, a tree, then you don't value human life. Particularly in the rise of the whole ecological thing at the moment, climate change and all of that, you are, you are part of the whole of creation. You are no more important than the rat outside. That's what they tell us. So why should we expect any different treatment to human life? So far this year, in Iran, they have executed 560 people. That, that is the official figure. How do they execute them? They put a crane and they hang them in a public square from a crane. They hang them because of protesting, because of these women protesting for, you know, for their dignity, for their respect. And the world watches on. Can't do anything. Our so-called, our so-called experts don't want to acknowledge this unless it is with some level of contempt for the very faith that has brought dignity to human life. Secondly, Jesus taught us how to respond to those in need. Matthew 11, verses 4 to 5. Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. This is John the Baptist who was in prison at the time. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. You know that before Christianity there were no organised charitable efforts anywhere in the world. There was no humanitarian aid in times of disaster or drought. In many countries then, and in many countries today, tragedy, misfortune, 
disasters, death is simply seen, suffering is simply seen as a direct punishment from the gods, so therefore we should not interfere with what the gods are doing. It is simply bad luck. But the example and the teachings of Jesus changed the way that the world reacted to those in need, especially the poor, the widow, the orphan, to the lower classes of society. Charitable institutions were started to help those in need. Hospitals, as we know them today, began through the influence of Christianity. It also gave rise to care for the elderly, nursing care. The Salvation Army was started by William Booth, targeting those who were destroyed by addictions, the prostitutes, the drunks. World Vision, Red Cross were all started by evangelical Christians. A world without Christ would certainly be a world without charity. Thirdly, Christians started the education revolution. We hear these words from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 to 7. And these words which I command to you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. This constant education which starts in the home but then, as, as the hunger for knowledge and wisdom and, and grows, we, we need to get that and, and record and, and write and, and educate society as we go on as, and as we develop as a civilization. Because Christianity encourages the learning and the use of the human intellect. Don't take this for granted. Don't take it for granted. Even in Cambodia, one of the things, I'm just using Cambodia as an example, during Pol Pot, who were the first people to be, to be targeted? Those who wore glasses, those who were teachers, those who were doctors, anybody who was educated, they were sent out to die in the forest and jungles. People who had never lived in the jungles were suddenly let out loose. Why? because they were a threat. Anybody who was educated was a threat. And it happens around the world. If you have any degrees, if you have... A lot of you people know this. So tell them when they challenge you, why is Christianity so important? Tell them. We actually encourage education. We encourage knowledge. Don't be ashamed of that. Virtually every school you see, public or private religious or not, is a visible reminder of the followers of Jesus Christ. And I thank God for this school that still the government hasn't got its hands on it and still encouraging and teaching through faith in Jesus Christ. It, ha- it is Christianity that has, has given rise to the concept of education for everybody. Everybody deserves to be educated. The greatest universities worldwide were started by Christians for Christian purposes. The, the, and the, and the, the most important discipline in every degree, in every doctorate that you ever did, was the study of theology. 
That was the, the, the prince of the, of the subjects that you could study. The study of God. While many of, of these universities today are hostile to the Christian faith, the fact is that it was through the labour and sacrifice of Christians that universities like Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, Princeton and many others were created for the promotion of learning. Did you know that? Fourth, our country was founded on Christian principles. Romans 13.1 Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And there is that uneasy relationship, I suppose, between, well, how do Christians relate to government? Do we want to be in power so that we make the rules for everybody? Well, that hasn't worked their world in the past when Christians have been in power. The best thing I think that Christians can do is to give the best possible advice to those who are in power. And that laws, yes, we elect politicians who are Christians, but to, to then rule like Islam and others with, with, a, with a morality, with a sword and other, and other things like that, I don't think that works. We've tried that. It doesn't work. However, we do speak, we do protest, we do encourage Christians in Parliament but there has to be a, a, a certain level of independence and separation so that they don't tell us how we do things, but we can certainly, as part of the community, as part of the church, we can certainly tell them when we disagree with the laws that they are proposing. And it's quite amazing, you simply mention the words Christian nation or Christian principles and all of that and they're considered to be fighting words, aren't they? But countries that do base their constitution and its laws on Christian principles are very different to those that don't. Very different. Abraham Lincoln, the President of the United States, had a lot of wisdom when he said, and I quote, It is the duty of nations as well as men to owe their dependence upon the ever-ruling power of God and to recognise the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. End of quote. And what a tremendous influence he had. Fifth, Christians have had an impact on science. Psalm 19 verse 1 says what? The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. As modern science continued to discover, continue to study more and more about the world we live in, and the heavens and the seas and all of this, we find 
not less information, less evidence for creation. We actually are finding more. The problem is the suppression. They don't want to tell us about it. The amazing complexity and, and the replication of the DNA, the intricate laws of physics, the absolute harmony of conditions and chemistry, which elements work with which. All of these things support the, the message of the Bible. Yet some continue to think that Christianity and science are opposites, that have nothing to do with each other. Well, that's not true. Science, theology, history, they're not different aspects of knowledge, but simply three different ways in which you can look at the world around us. And they all point at the same area, the same fountain, the sovereignty of God, the amazing wisdom of God when he made all of this. Blaise Pascal states it well when he said, Faith tells us what the senses cannot, but it is not contrary to their finding. It simply transcends without contradicting them. That's what faith does. Who made all of this? I can tell you, the Bible tells us who made all of this. Some of the greatest pioneers in, in, in science were committed Christians. I will name just a few. And I'm, I'm just using one field. I'm not even going to go into music and, and all of that. But in science, antiseptic surgery, Joseph Lister, a Christian. Bacteriology, Louis Pasteur. Calculus, Isaac Newton. Electromagnetics, Michael Faraday. Francis Collins, the Human Genome Project. He was a Christian, committed Christians, even though he was working mainly with atheists. The list goes on and on. There are so many benefits of science which you enjoy in your everyday life that would not exist if Christ had not been born. Every time you go to the doctor and get a medicine, and you know, you need to understand that God has given wisdom to these scientists first and foremost to treat the condition that you and I often succumb to in this sinful world. Thank God for that. Sixth, Jesus taught us about human sexuality. Matthew chapter 6 verse 28. You have all heard it say, you have all heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus raised the whole level of sexuality or immorality. He actually raised the bar from simply just from the act to the thought. And wow, that says, it's all dangerous, isn't it? If you thought you're perfect, if you thought that you've never sinned, well, there it is, right there. And Christ challenged us on the subject of sexuality by raising this standard to, to another level, an impossible level, really. But, and, and when God gave his command to not commit adultery, he was protecting 
the sanctity of the highest earthly relationship we can know, the relationship between a husband and a wife. The union of two souls. Anything that comes to intrude on that is there to destroy the sanctity of marriage. And and Christians have been singled out. We have been attacked because we are seen as, as, as standing in the way of the sexual revolution. And then the gay marriage thing and then the transgender lifestyle and so on. And there's a good reason for that. You simply read the Bible right from Genesis and see what happened. Sodom and Gomorrah and the degradation that happened there. What was happening in Canaan. And, 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 and do we really want to go back there? Serious? What have we missed out on? Well, nothing. Except the, the destruction that when you don't respect the boundaries that God has put, you are devaluing yourself. When you give yourself to lust, to immorality, you are destroying your life because your, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is sacred. Protect it. Be proud of it. Despite what you hear, there is already evidence emerging of the tremendous damage that is being done on children and teenagers and adults who deeply regret all the operations and everything, the hormone replacement and all that suppression and all that that's been happening as we live in very, very challenging times. This stuff you, you don't need to be ashamed of. This stuff you can, you can challenge when your kids come from school and your grandkids and everything else. Don't, don't be scared of going to prison. Don't be scared of what, what's going to happen. You need to tell them the truth. But you need to respect your body. You need to respect what the Bible says about our lives, about our bodies. We step outside those boundaries that God has established and we're going to pay the price. I'm hoping that years from now that we'll look back on this period in, this sad period in history and they will say, how did they ever succumb to that? What were they thinking? I'm hoping, I'm hoping. Having said all that, one of the great things, one of the great things, and this is my final point, that there is forgiveness at the cross. There is only one sin that God does not forgive and that is the sin against the Holy Spirit, a basic rejection of God. And this is my seventh point. Because Christ came, we can be forgiven. And that's the beauty, isn't it? That's the hope. 1 Timothy 1.15 Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to what? To save sinners, of whom I am the worst, said the Apostle Paul. Imagine, someone like the Apostle Paul said, I am the worst of sinners. There's no pride in us, nothing. 
And of all the things that I have mentioned, they pale into insignificance if we don't mention this one. Christ came to forgive our sins. Critics have said that any religion or philosophy could probably end up with similar results if they all put their brains together and all of this. Humanists could come up with you know, charitable acts and education and orphanages and all of that. Governments can take over hospitals and education systems. But one thing that is uniquely Christian is what? Grace. Forgiveness. The ability to restart, to, to wipe the slate clean and say, no, because you are valuable, let's start again. Learn from your mistakes and let's build our lives from here on. With cancel culture that is so prevalent today, there is no forgiveness. We'll go back 100 years, we'll go back 10 years, we'll go back 1,000 years and we will punish you for what? Not only for what you did, for what your grandfather said, what your father said. And now we're going to hold you accountable to it. Talk to Gina Reinhardt about this one. There is no grace. It will all be brought up. But not with God. Your sins are forgiven. I will remember your sins no more. Not because I'm suffering from amnesia, but because it's a deliberate act. It's no longer relevant in our relationship. Let me give you a couple of examples. In the 19th century, Charles Bradlaugh, uh, a prominent atheist of the day, challenged the Christian Hugh Price Hughes to a debate. Hughes was an active uh, evangelist among the poor in the slums of London. And Hughes told Bradlaugh he would agree under one condition. And Hughes said, I propose to you that we each bring some concrete evidences of the validity of our beliefs in the form of men and women who have been redeemed from lives of sin and shame by the influences of our teaching. You defend your positions by bringing witnesses of how their lives have been transformed. Right? That was a challenge. I will bring a hundred such men and women and I'll challenge you to do the same. An atheist versus a Christian. And when it became apparent that Bradlaugh could not bring a hundred, Hughes lowered the number generously to 50, then 20. Couldn't find 20 people who had been, whose lives have been transformed positively by atheism. And then he said, okay, just bring one. Just bring one. And couldn't even do that. All Bradlaugh had to do was find one man or woman whose life had been improved by atheism and Hughes would debate him. And Bradlaugh couldn't do that, so he withdrew his offer of a debate. So lay down his air, guys. Another story from World War II. Sergeant Jacob de Chaser was a bombardier in general, in the in, in general Doolittle's squadron during the, the famous mission to bomb Tokyo after Japan had bombed Pearl Harbor. 
And while bombing Japan, his plane was shot down by anti-aircraft fire. He and his crew bailed out, but were captured. They were treated with cruelty, so much so that the Shazer had but one desire, that he would avenge his torturers. That was all he thought of when he was in prison. One day a Bible was brought into the prison as he read it, and as he read it, it melted the hatred that he felt in his heart. When the war was over, the Shazer returned to Japan as a missionary to the very Japanese people that tortured him as a missionary. The story of his life, this goes on, this is the way that Christianity works. The story of his life was printed as a tract. And one day a disheartened, broken and hopeless man received one of those tracts. He was touched by what he read and so he, he sought out the American missionaries. He too was converted. This man's name was Captain Mitsuo Fushida. He was the Japanese officer who led the attack on Pearl Harbor on December the 7th. 1941. It was he who had spoken the words Torah, Torah, Torah to begin the attack. He too was converted and became a preacher of the gospel and on the 25th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor, he went back to Pearl Harbor with a gift for the survivors. A Bible which had been inscribed with Luke 23:43, which says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. See, that's the end of the discussion, isn't it? If Christ had not come, life would be meaningless. In this life and the next. In fact, there's a lot worse waiting for those who have not given their life to Christ in the life to come. If Christ had not come, there would be no forgiveness for sin. If Christ had not come, there would be no hope of eternal life in heaven. But Christ was born and the world is different because Christ was born. He lived, he died, he rose again and he will come back again. Be assured of that. Let me ask you, What difference has Christ made in your life because he came? Everything. Everything. And life is worth the living just because he lives. What difference has your faith had on on your surrounding environment, on your friends and your family? Can Can you say that your life has impacted those around you the same way that Christ has impacted your life. I hope and pray that it is because that's exactly how evangelism works. It, it, it has to be shared. This is a great story. This is our light. You don't hide it. You shine it. May God give us the days that we, that we have left to, to shine his light in this increasingly dark world not for our glory, but so that we can tell his story and he will use us for his glory. I hope and pray that that be true. Amen.